Man, I want to thank, get started this morning. It's been a couple weeks since I've been up here. I want to thank our student pastor, um, Trent Santos, who's also leading worship this morning, and Pastor Anthony Higgs, a, a member of the Cornerstone Community Core team, uh, for preaching the last two Sunday mornings and taking care of those responsibilities. Uh, Emily and I were able to travel to the Southern Baptist Convention last Sunday, and the week before that, we were able to travel with uh, Pastor Mike Ferguson, uh, pastor of Cornerstone Community Church, to a multi-ethnic church in Rock Hill, South Carolina, to kind of see what God is doing in other places, um, to be a part of that. And I'm so thankful to have just a, a, a host of people that can step in and preach, and things just go incredible while you're gone. It, it makes you a little bit worried that things go so well while you're gone, or right? you're supposed to be able to do those. But I, I'm just so thankful for them. Uh, just also, I'm blown away from what took place here this week. Uh, anybody in this room been a part of Camp Windshape this week? Could you let me know it? There you go. There you go. All right. The hands raising just doesn't work for wind shape. All right. If you were here this week, I, we were around for Thursday and then for the family day on Friday to be a part of that, to see wind shape staff um, work with our church staff and our volunteers and see all those things in the community come together. So we, we had several churches also came and visited with us who want to partner with us next year um, as we look to dates for Windshape for, for next summer. So we're just so excited that we were able to be a part of that. But I got to tell you, I'm so excited to be back here. Uh, it was great to be gone, but I love being here. And one of the things that I was reminded while I was sitting, listening to different guys preach and talk about their churches and, and things that they struggle through, I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you for being the congregation that you are. You're a generous congregation. You're a gracious congregation. Um, you care for our staff. You care for my family. You care for the rest of our staff and their families. Um, you care, most of all, the best thing is you care for our community and sharing the grace of Jesus Christ in our community. And I'm so thankful for you. Um, you have no idea what an anomaly you really are um, in churches. So thank you for being the church that you are. Um, we don't tell you that enough. I don't get to tell you that enough. But I'm really excited this morning because we're jumping into a, an 11-week sermon series. They tell you, don't, don't try to preach 11 weeks on one sermon series, all right? We're going to do it this summer because a few summers ago, we had a summer session. Some of you might remember that. About four years ago, we had a summer session where all throughout the summer, we put together a resource that you were able to follow along with us. And so if you were on vacation, if you missed a week or two, you could carry that resource with you. You could um, follow along with us. And now you have more of those resources. If, if you're gone on a Sunday morning and you don't, and it rains on you at the beach at 1115, you can just go to Facebook Live and watch the sermon. I know you're not going to do that on vacation, all right? I'm not pretending myself, all right? Um, but, but you might, all right? You might get really bored, all right? And at 11.15, you can chime in, be a part of that, and carry on with us this summer. Um, and that resource is going to be out in the lobby this morning. But I've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. We're going to be talking about what is a pattern. Uh, two definitions that, that I, I looked up this week for a pattern. Here's the two definitions. A pattern, a form or a model proposed for imitation. A form or a model proposed for imitation. A pattern. A reliable sample of traits, acts, tendencies, or other observable characteristics of a person, group, or institution. A reliable set of traits, acts, tendencies, or other observable characteristics of a person, of a group. Now, I want you to think for a minute, and you may not realize this, but you follow a lot of patterns. You follow a lot of patterns that you may not realize that you follow. 
So I was out of town. I've been thinking about this week. It's kind of dangerous when you give a preacher two weeks off. You're guaranteed to be late today, all right, here on Father's Day. But here's a couple patterns that we follow, whether you want to admit it or not. Superstar musicians, athletes, and actors. Many of you follow them on social media. You pick up the tabloids. You pick up the things at the grocery store, and you're going, oh, that happened to their family. Oh, my goodness. What took place? If you don't believe me, then why do all the marketing agencies use superstars to model and present their things to you? Because they're setting a pattern. They're setting something before you. We were watching game five of the NBA Finals. Um, Somehow my wife was watching game five of the NBA Finals. I'm not sure what was wrong with that picture, but she was watching the game five and she says, they have on shorts, but they have on these long pants underneath. And they have on these sleeves that go on. I don't know if you've watched basketball lately, but there's very little of their body that's uncovered. And she says, why don't they just wear long pants? I mean, they've got everything else covered. They've just got long sleeves on. And if you think it's crazy, go to a middle school or an elementary booster club game and look at the kids playing sports. What do they have on? Sleeves, arms, legs. Why? Because somebody is setting a pattern for them. Whether you agree with it or not, it's happening. Technology is setting a pattern. The pattern that keeps changing for many of us is that incredibly disturbing but needed device that's in your pocket right now. It is your cell phone. Mine is not, so some of you really smart people won't text me in the middle of service, all right? Uh, a cell phone in your pocket. I never imagined 15 years ago I'd carry around a phone in my pocket and I could reach other people. I could send them videos of things that were going on. I could FaceTime my kids from the Grand Canyon, all right? I mean, you never imagined that you could do those things, but we're setting a pattern, parents, because once upon a time, our children went outside and they built forts. Now, before they can read and write, they want a phone so they can build a fort on their phone, right? I, I'm, I know that I'm right because I have four children. Or, you, man, little girls used to play with baby dolls, and they just loved them. Well, now they have apps where they can play with baby dolls. Things have changed, and we as parents are setting a pattern. Here's a pattern some of you wish that was never invented that you must admit that has infiltrated our culture. Snuggies. How many of you in the room, I know I'm dating myself a little bit this morning, how many in this room have ever purchased a Snuggie? Raise your hand. Be proud. Be proud. There's a few of you in here. The rest of you don't want to admit it. Here's what a Snuggie is in case you don't realize what you have in your home. It's a blanket with arms. Whoever thought that you needed a blanket with arms? You've got those. They put them in your mind. Here's another one that is very, very culturally relevant right now. Fidget spinners. Oh, yeah. Now y'all woke up. (laughs) Fidget spinners. Somebody's using one right now in the service. Some kids, right? What did he say? I don't know. Fidget spinners. Now, they were designed for those who need a distraction so that they can pay attention. It's true. Now, they're being banned from those same places. Why? Because now they're too big of a distraction. But somebody somewhere said, we need these, and they patterned them for you. So now you have followed that same pattern. Adults, you follow patterns too. It's called HGTV. All right? You have a gray room in your house now. Some of you have shiplap in your house now that you never imagined, and you thought it was 
horribly ugly five years ago, and now why? Because Lowe's and Home Depot partner with a network, and they want you to buy certain products, so they design television shows, and they put products on those shows, so you'll go and buy them. It's called a pattern, and you follow them every single day. How we speak to our spouses, it's a pattern. How we react at ball games and how our children react at ball games, it is a pattern. How we spend our money, it's a pattern. If and when we spend time with the Lord, it's a pattern. The reality is every one of us is pursuing and following a pattern. So this summer, we're going to be entrenched in two questions, and here's what they are. What pattern are you following? What pattern are you displaying? Say these with me. What pattern are you following? The other 20 of you can participate as well, right? Let's do it again. What pattern are you following? What pattern are you displaying? Two questions that are profound at their core. They may sound simple. They may sound easy to answer. But how we answer those questions dictates the life that we live. It dictates the examples that we are setting. Now, as I was thinking about this week, several weeks ago, I kept being drawn back to the book of Acts to really in kind of a, what seems like an unusual passage of Scripture to talk about a pattern. But let me set the stage for you. We're going to be, in just a moment, we're going to be in Acts chapter 6, 7, 8, and 9. All right? You're looking at your watch. I know. We've got a lot of ground to cover. Acts 6 through 9. But well, let me set the stage for you. At this point in the book of Acts, the church has launched. The, the, the apostles have been filled with the Holy Spirit. They have begun preaching and teaching. And by Acts chapter 6, some of the same issues that current churches struggle with today, they want to know who was going to take care of the people that were inside the church and who was going to continue to take the message outside of the church. So they appointed some deacons. And one of those guys was a guy by the name of Stephen. Stephen is incredible. He's a faithful teacher. He continues to preach. But at one point, his preaching and his teaching flew in the face of a multi-ethnic, multi-religious leadership group who said, we have got to silence this young man. This movement now is, is moving too much. It's right in our face. We've got to do something about it. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 11, it says, then they secretly instigated men who said, notice that wasn't truth. They instigated men who said, we had heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So here they are, they've got Stephen, this believer, this leader in the church, they've got him before him, they're making up lies, they've got false witnesses, and they're saying, listen, we've got to silence this guy, and in the middle of that, they look over and they go, oh, face of an angel, face of an angel shining over here. The result of their question is the onset of what I consider 
to be one of the, if not the greatest sermons of all time. Acts chapter 7. Stephen launches into the most profound, he completes the Old Testament, he brings everything forward for them, he lays out everything that they were a part of in their history, and he lays it all before this group that has all these false witnesses, and they're trying to find guilt in him. And then he says, in Acts chapter 7, towards the end of his massive sermon, he says, you Verse 51, you stiff-necked people. Note to self, if on trial, not a good phrase to start with, right? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Again, note to self, if you're in front of a ruling council and you declare them as murderers, it's not going to turn out in your favor. You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground or grit their teeth at them. We only do that, right, folks, when we're extremely angry. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together out him. Now imagine this, these ruling men, the leaders of the religious community, Stephen unleashes this sermon upon them, and they say, Listen, we're just going to put our fingers in their ears. This is the first temper tantrum recorded in Scripture. They're acting as three-year-olds, and they're sticking their fingers in their ear, and they're enraged at what he is saying to them because he is speaking right to their hearts. He says, you don't listen to the Holy Spirit. You don't listen when the Spirit grieves you. You don't listen to the things. You're uncircumcised in your heart. Then they cast them out of the city, verse 58, and stoned them. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. I want to read that verse again. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, Stephen cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said these things, he fell asleep. I want you to see two characters this morning. I want you to see Stephen, profound believer, believer, pastor, teacher, deacon, speaking the truth. As he's being stoned, for his faith, the first martyr recorded for in Scripture. There's a guy standing on the outskirts of what's taking place, and he's the coat, coat holder. So what he's doing is the guys are coming up, and they're going, man, whew, I'll tell you what, could you hold this for me so I could throw my stone better? And Saul stands to the side, holding their coats while they execute this faithful believer. Chapter 8, verse 1 tells us, And Saul approved of his execution, 
And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men, buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. I want you to see the great difference between Stephen and Saul. But something radical is about to take place. Saul is the persecutor of believers. He gets permission from Damascus, from the leadership. And he's going to go out and he's going to pursue and bring in those believers to Damascus. But on his way back, from coming back from Damascus, something happens to him and it's recorded for us. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. So the men that were traveling with Saul took him and they took him to a house and Saul sits and waits for several days. God calls another man by the name of Ananias to come and to minister to Saul. A believer to come to minister to Saul. Talk about a job that you do not want. God calls you and says, hey, you remember the guy who's been killing people who was right there holding the coats while they persecuted and martyred Stephen? Yes, Would you go to Damascus? Would you go to that city, to that house? I'm going to give you the address, and I'd like you to go to that place, and I'd love you to love on him. And listen to what Scripture says. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and Greeks, I mean, and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Listen to those words that he's given to this follower to go to Saul, this persecutor. He says, listen, I'm going to use him. You sure we're talking about the same guy? The cult holder guy? The persecutor who approved of the execution, who's been throwing my brothers and sisters in jail? That guy you're going to use? I'm going to carry, use his name to carry my name to the Gentiles, to the kings, and to the people of Israel. That pretty much covers their culture. And so he comes to Christ, and he receives a name, not Saul, but Paul. And he becomes, without a doubt, outside of Jesus Christ, the most prolific writer, prolific missionary recorded for us in the New Testament. This guy. And as I was thinking through all of these stories and reading through Stephen's story and reading through Saul's conversion, I kept coming back to that moment where it says, they cast him out of the city, speaking of Stephen, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. You don't ever forget that moment, do you? If you're Saul, you will never forget that moment. And now God has taken you and turned you to become the greatest witness for him of that culture and of that time. But I wonder how many times was was Saul laying and Paul laying in bed at night and had a nightmare of that moment and woke up and kind of shook it off and realized, no, that was real. I was there. Or how many times was he bound in prison, Paul, shackled in prison, 
And did he think about Stephen saying this? Lord, do not hold their sins against them. Lord, do not hold their sins against them. But I want to point out to you that may not jump out at us this morning is that Stephen was living out his life, the life that God had called him to, and in doing so, he set a pattern. Traits, characteristics, observable characteristics of a person, and the great apostle Paul followed. After a great turn of events that the Lord interceded and came into his life, Stephen set a pattern that he was willing, that Paul was able then to look at through a different set of lenses now before he was looking at him going, man, I'm holding the coats. This guy's an idiot. He's going to die for this. And weeks, maybe even days later, he's standing before some of the same believers saying, I declare Jesus as Savior Lord. And he would later give his own life, but he saw a pattern. And several weeks ago, one of the verses that was referred to was out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. This is Paul now speaking. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Repeat that with me this morning. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul was saying, you follow the pattern that I'm living and I'm going to follow the pattern that Jesus Christ set before me. And one of those patterns was a guy by the name of Stephen. And I held the coats. And I watched his faithfulness. And I saw him with the face of an angel cry out, Lord, do not hold these sins against them. And Saul, who became Paul, later on was declaring, you follow me because I'm going to follow Christ. You follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I am of Christ. What is that called? It's called a pattern. It's a pattern for every follower of Jesus to pursue. This is a pattern. The verse that we studied for several weeks back in May, love the Lord your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, love your neighbor as yourself. It's called a pattern. Love the Lord, love your neighbors. It's a pattern. And repeat. A set of characteristics or traits of which a person carries that is to be repeated, imitated. It is a pattern. We all follow a pattern and we all model a pattern. Every single person in this room, both of these are true. You can think about it a little bit. You can wrestle with it a little bit. But every single one of us follows some patterns in life and every single one of us are setting some patterns for others to father to to follow. It is Father's Day. And guys, I don't want to beat you up on Father's Day, but I do want to speak really bluntly to you this morning. Fathers, what pattern are you following? Is it that of Christ? What pattern are you displaying? Fathers, I want to ask you a question this morning, and it's paramount to every other question we've asked today. Have you given your life to Jesus, dads? Fathers in this room, have you given your life to Jesus? Have you recognized that you've sinned and that 
the heavenly Father offered his son as a, as a payment for your sins? Have you recognized your sinfulness and your need for a Savior? Today. Today, why don't you begin to follow the pattern of Jesus if you haven't already? And during our invitation in a few moments, crying out to him and say, God, I am a sinner. I need a Savior. And you've set the example and I'll follow you. Because behind me is a child or children or a family is following behind you. What pattern are you following? What pattern are you displaying? And let me just say this, dads. And in our culture, your children don't need to model an athletic superstar, no matter how great he is. They don't need to model a movie star. They don't need to model someone that they found as an Instagram personality. They need to model a father who loves the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind. And that is your responsibility and no one else's. Should have been a few more amens in the room on that one this morning. But you know what? There's not just fathers in this room. There's single parents, single moms. Some of you aren't married. Can I just... Speak into your life this morning. Are you dating someone who is following a model that you would want your future family to follow? If not, dump them. If not, get rid of them. If not, step aside from that. Press the pause button this morning and wait for the Lord to put someone into your life who is setting a pattern before you because they're pursuing Christ. Wait for him to deliver someone that future generations can follow. You don't need to continue to follow patterns which lead to the same dead ends. Press pause. You seek the pattern of Jesus Christ in your life and let the creator of the universe handle your relationships. You follow the pattern of Jesus Christ and let him handle the details. What pattern are you following? What pattern are you displaying? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So why is this worth taking the entire summer on? Because Jesus said to go as we saw two weeks ago, to go, to teach, to make disciples of all nations. That is the pattern that we are to be setting. And no other group in the world has been given that purpose and that charge but the church. You've been given the pattern. You've been given the, the, the command to become the pattern by pursuing Christ and to set that pattern for other people. And this summer, we're going to take the entire summer to examine what does that look like in your life.